Well, 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 in the ever-changing story of gynecology, we've got some interesting data that just came out on June the 12th, 2023. Now, just as a point of reference, I'm taping this episode on June the 13th, 2023, but this is already making its rounds on the social media and major media outlets. The headline from the New York Post from June the 12th, 2023 reads, Women who started the pill as teens have a 130% higher rate of depression, according to a new study. Yep, that's the headline. Women who started the pill as teens have a 130% higher rate of depression. Ah, but you know, podcast family, that there's always more to the story than just what's in the headline. So in this episode, we're going to tackle the brand new publication that was released just 24 hours ago. How's that for Medicine Moves Fast? (laughs) This study comes out of the UK and it was published in the journal Epidemiology and Psychiatric Sciences. The title of this new publication is Population-Based Cohort Study of Oral Contraceptive Use and the Risk of Depression. And it's shaking things up on the social media and the major news media channels. But we got to really do a critical analysis of this because the last thing that we want, especially in this critical time, is for women to restrict themselves to effective hormonal contraception. So in this episode, let's cover the population-based cohort study of oral contraceptive use and the risk of depression. This is Cade. I'm a third-year medical student at Texas A&M University. I'm Kimia. I'm an undergraduate student at Texas A&M University. And And this this is Clinical Clinical Pearls. Wow. I mean, news travels fast. Either this is a result of great marketing or people are really out on the scavenger hunt for new juicy gynecological topics because I found this not only on the New York Post, which I'll post the link to that in our references online, but it's also on Science Direct with that headline being New Study Links Contraceptive Pills with Depression. And it's also made its way to medicalnews.net. So what's going on here? Because for decades, the data on the birth control pill and depression has been conflicting and really not supportive of any kind of causality. Associations are one thing, but causation is very hard to prove because there's a lot of cofactors here. But then comes this publication out of Cambridge University Press from June the 12th, 2023. Now, let's just be very honest right out the bat. This is not a randomized trial or a prospective cohort study. This is really a data mining database search, all right? So that's the first thing. This is not like a group of patients that were followed specifically. And we're going to get into the limitations here on this because there's a lot of them. But this was basically mining and looking into a database to pull out this information, all right? So right off the bat, as you can guess, that's full of limitations, which the authors themselves discuss, but that we have to discuss here in open forum so that this study does not get misinterpreted. First, we have to put the use of the pill in perspective, especially as it relates to use in the U.S., right? We're in the United States. So even though this study was published in the U.K., let's talk about how that affects our population here in the United States, all right? According to the CDC and the National Center for Health Statistics, use of the birth control pill between women aged 15 to 49 is about 14%, all right? Now, that's not in terms of what kind of contraception they're using 
using. That's just overall in the women age 15 to 49. So think about that. Of all women, according to the CDC, between ages of 15 and 49, 14% rely on the pill as their method of contraception. The most common type of contraception is actually sterilization. Well, that is, according to the CDC, at 18% in that same age range female population, 15 to 49. Then comes the birth control pill at 14%. And then third on the list is reversible contraceptive options like Larks at 10%. All right. So again, it's among the most common form of contraception in women using contraception. But of all women in the US age 15 to 49, think about that. 14% of them are on the birth control pill. So potentially this study from yesterday, June the 12th, could could be a stumbling block to a lot of women who misinterpret this finding, all right? So just that's where I'm starting right off the bat. It's a good publication, but there's huge, huge limitations that we have to address. So 14% of women between 15 and 49 rely on the birth control pill as their method of contraception. Now, couple those numbers to an alarming statistic. Uh, this number makes me sad. I mean, I have two young daughters and this, I mean, this is something that I worry about because if anything, we want them, we want our children to, at least I do, I just want them to be joyful, all right? Happiness is something else. Joyful is a state of mind, right? The ability to to appreciate things that we have, even when things are bad, even when you're not happy. So happiness is an emotion. Joyfulness is 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 an attitude, is a state of mind. Boy, I don't want to get into that whole topic. But the idea is, is that there's a big problem uh, with with our uh, youth and adolescents because they're not feeling that. So in a recent release from the CDC, that was just from February 2023, the title of which is U.S. Teen Girls Experiencing Increased Sadness and Violence. I mean, these numbers are heartbreaking. According to this report that was earlier in the year, again, this year, 2023, quote, nearly three in five U.S. teen girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. Now put that in perspective, three of five, that's 57%. 57%. Now think about that. That's in the U.S., which is a high-resource country. I mean, we, we honestly, I mean, we, we, we lack for not, right? Yes, there's different socioeconomic strata. I get that. I'm not denying that. But honestly, uh, the things that we have in this country, even those with lower socioeconomic status compared to those who are dirt poor in third world countries, which I have seen, is a vast difference. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to lay out here before we get to this publication is we have a very common medication in a age group that was studied in this new publication parallel with an already existing high rate of emotional distress, which the pandemic did not help. So those are two huge confounders, at least they are in the U.S. Now, remember, this publication comes out of the U.K., but the numbers are just similar in the U.K. as they are here. They're they're just a mirror image. They're not vastly different. So that's one of the big limitations of this is that we're looking at something that already has a high parallel confounding rate, all right, use of birth control and the rate of emotional uh, sadness or, or instability for a variety of reasons. And those are the two big cofactors here, confounders, uh, that weren't adequately addressed. Now, there's, there, there's a lot more to it than that, but let me just leave it at that for now. 
Before we do dive into this new publication, this whole topic of birth control pills and depression has been all over the place. I'm sure you can find an article that shows that there is an association, and I can show you one matched number to number that shows that there isn't, because observational studies are really quite confusing on this. And even RCTs have found little or no effect of hormonal contraception on mood. In contrast to those observational studies that have found some possible association randomized clinical trials have shown little or no effect of hormonal contraception on mood or emotional wellness. Well, now that we've introduced that depressing topic, oh, no pun intended since we're talking about birth control pill and depression. Well, I'm full of dad jokes this week. I don't know what's happening. Uh, uh, so, so the truth is, I mean, it, it's just sad to me. I mean, we're, we're just... We seem to be more overwhelmed, uh, more anxious, just as a nation, uh, and sadder and more depressed. Well, it's not just the U.S. I mean, this is an overall global thing. Ugh, it, look, and I've been very open in the past, podcast family. I think you've known this. You know, I, I've had issues. I've struggled with this myself, uh, and I've talked about this multiple times. Uh, it's, it's a dark place, man. You can go into a real dark place, especially for, for our patients who are teens. And that's why I really have this, this heart for them. And when information like this comes up and starts making the, the press circles, uh, I, I think it's sometimes, while meaning to do well, right? Hey, be careful. It can cause depression. It may cause more harm than good because the last thing that we want to do is for uh, women who can benefit from birth control uh, hormonal birth control like the pill, and not just for the contraceptive options, but for the vast non-contraceptive options like reduced dysmenorrhea, less bleeding, less ovarian cysts, and the list goes on and on, is for them to get scared uh, and, and drop the pill, which puts them at risk of an unplanned uh, pregnancy. So I, I'm very ambivalent about this. I'm all about being evidence-based. I love new data. We're doing this 24 hours after this study came out. But I, I think if you don't put the limitations in perspective, this can be taken as dogma. We know this is true. The pill absolutely causes depression. And let me be very clear right now, that is absolutely not the case. There's way too many questions that this new population-based cohort study raises to be considered as fact and the synchronon, the without doubt, regarding birth control pill and depression, even though it makes a claim that they have now proven causality. Yeah, it says that. We feel confident this is now showing causality with the pill and depression, despite the huge limitations that they themselves uh, describe in the study, which we will cover. Oh, my goodness. I'm like exhausted. We haven't even gotten into the publication. But does that make sense? I'm really trying to drive this home that there's so many factors in there that if the birth control pill unequivocally caused mood disorders or depression, we would see it in every single published study, including RCTs, and that has not been the case. Plus, depression, there's so many factors that go in there between interpersonal relationships, genetics, socio-environmental status, life stressors, ability to cope. Do you see what I'm saying? There's so many factors in there. This is very difficult to, to, pin, uh, to pinpoint and pin down. But having said that, and I think I'm done with the commentary, let's focus on this new study, again, from Epidemiology and Psychiatric Sciences called Population-Based Cohort Study of Oral Contraceptive Use and the Risk of Depression from 12 June 2023.
This study does have a lot of good things going for it. I mean, it was a really big study. This was a population-based cohort study from the UK with data on 264,000 women, actually 264,557, but we'll just say 264, okay? 264,000 women who are in this database. That's a lot. This study was done using the UK Biobank, otherwise known as the UKB. So remember, this is not an RCT or a prospective study. It's basically data mining through this database, even though patients were reached out for questionnaires and for specific interviews. But the main part of this is that this was done through a database search. The UKB is a population-based cohort that recruited over 500,000 participants aged 37 up to 71. Now, obviously, all of these patients were not using birth control, but that's the huge population that goes into this database. This spanned the UK between 2006 and 2010. So that's another finding. Remember, this doesn't have the current birth controls in circulation. So just remember that because this may not use the less androgenic birth control, which we know may have less effect on mood. So that's one of the limitations we haven't even gotten into yet. But anyway, this study collected extensive data from questionnaires, interviews, physical health measures, biological samples, and even some imaging when needed. Now, in this study, particularly regarding birth control and depression, imaging wasn't really that big of a deal, okay? Now, during the initial assessment visit, information on birth control pill use, including the age when it was first initiated and when it was stopped, was done using a touchscreen questionnaire. All right, podcast family, let's stop there for a moment. So right there, if you're going, wait a minute, this was done by questionnaire, The answer is yes. So one of the limitations that the authors themselves discuss and we're going to get into is that there is a potential here for recall bias. All right. So this wasn't, you know, following exact records. This was just looking at what the respondents gave based on their own recall. Do you all see how this is a little bit problematic? Well, nonetheless, this is how the study was done. Now, the authors of this study did do something that was pretty neat, trying to prove causality, all right? Nonetheless, while the concept was good, there's still a lot of issues with the results, but they did do a sibling analysis, all right? So this was to assess the possible casual relationship, in other words, cause and effect between birth control pill use and depression. They analyzed a sub-cohort of female siblings who were in the database who used hormonal birth control, the birth control pill. Remember, this is only talking about the pill, not talking about the shot, the ring, or anything else, just the birth control pill during those years that the database collected information on these patients. And those who had siblings who did not use hormonal birth control, they they tracked those to see if there was any potential data that could prove cause and effect. Well, let's just cut to the chase here. The study population comprised a total of over 264,000 women. Among the women included, 80% were ever users of the pill. The median time from first initiation to last use of the birth control was 10 years, and the median age at starting and stopping was 21 and 32 years, respectfully. 
regarding the use of birth control pill and depression, quote, during the first two years of use, there was an increased rate of depression compared with never users. In the age stratified analysis, adolescents had an increased rate of depression two years following initiation. Adults also experienced an increased rate, but it was less so compared to the adolescents. Put in terms of simple percentages, here's what the numbers look like according to the study with some real limitations that we're going to talk about. But here's what they found, which can be pretty scary for somebody who's just reading this off the New York Post. Quote, in women who were teenagers when they began to use birth control pills, they had a 130% higher rate of depression. The increased rate among adult users was 92%, end quote. So teenagers, 130% higher rate of depression, while the increased rate among adults was 92% higher, all right? So we got to put this in perspective because those are percentages, but the absolute numbers are still very small. But nonetheless, can you see how scary this is? If somebody doesn't have a scientific background or knows how to interpret the data, what these numbers actually mean... Those numbers are horribly frightening. Now, remember, that's higher risk of. It doesn't mean that 130% of them had depression because that's over 100%. This is, this is, in other words, the odds ratio, the hazards ratio. But the numbers are still very, very small. So you can see how scary this is. Somebody sends this link to the New York Post to somebody else who's 18, uh, who's sexually active and using the birth control pill and says, oh my gosh, this is why you're depressed. Wait a minute. That may be the case, and it also may not be the case. This is why the limitations have to be understood. Um, Before I dig myself into some kind of hole and have to crawl out, let me just be very clear here. I am absolutely not denying that in some women who have some kind of epigenetic tendency or predisposition to depression based on hormonal agents that this cannot exist. All right, let me be very clear here. Yes, I I think that in some women, this is possible. But to say this as a blanket statement that the birth control pill causes depression, I think is a disservice uh, and can really uh, get the wrong result here. In trying to educate the masses, I think the, 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 the rebuttal to that, the side effect of that is that women may be robbed of very effective contraception. And so that's I'm trying to say here. So uh, please don't send me a message of, oh, I can't believe you're not saying the birth control pill can cause depression. I'm saying everything is possible. So everything is possible, but is everything probable? Those are two different things. And I've mentioned that in previous episodes. I think it, what it comes down to, and I was going to leave this for the end, but nonetheless, we're here is this really comes down to an individual uh, patient level, right? This comes down to customized and, and, and personal uh, attention to what the patient is taking, as it always should. But to give it a mass blanket statement like the birth control pill causes depression, I, I just don't think we have that, especially when I get into the limitations of this study, which we're about to do, all right? So I gave you the big results there. Those are big numbers, and they're striking numbers, but here are the limitations. And while we have to take this... Uh, for what it's worth, which is an interesting piece of literature, the recognition that depression can definitely happen with birth control pills, but that is a unique personal individual response. Maybe it's an idiosyncratic response, but to say that all birth control pills cause depression is absolutely not correct, nor is it evidence-based, mainly because of the limitations that we're about to get into. Before we get into the limitations, I'm not sure if you can tell or not, but once again, I've decided to do the impromptu podcast recording at the hospital 
because I didn't want to wait until I get back to the podcast studio for this because I was very irritated by this publication. No offense to the authors. Great job. Uh, so, but there's noises outside. And nonetheless, I, I know my team hates it when I do this. So we have some random noises in the background. I think somebody's like cleaning the windows outside. I'm like, seriously, this is my only time to do this. I've got two ladies in labor. Uh, and you decide to clean the windows of my call room while I do this. Hence the frustration. All right, such is life. Here we go. All right, podcast family. I wish I really could take a picture of this because literally there's like the guy. I'm, I'm on the third floor uh, and I see this big like sponge thing on a stick cleaning the windows. Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of comical. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's how they clean it. I think it would be more effective with a ladder. Oh, let's just get back to – I'm so distracted. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's get back to the limitations. Now I was going to do a commentary on this. But you know what? There's nothing like just letting you hear exactly the limitations that the authors themselves r- report. So let me read this verbatim, and then I'll give you my take on it, why this has to be taken with a grain of salt. So, quote, our findings must be interpreted in light of several limitations. First, the main limitation of this study is the potential recall bias in the self-reported data, end quote. All right, so we've already talked about that. This is done on questionnaires and surveys that were not validated. So automatically, it's interesting. If I'm the editor for this, I would go, wow, you, you, maybe you should do this as a commentary piece rather than you know, under evidence-based you know, protocol. But it is what it is. I mean, people publish surveys all the time and, and questionnaires, but it's hard to prove causation because of that. I mean, that's one big limitation. They go on to say, quote, second, the study is subject to a certain sample selection bias as the UKB, remember that's the database, consists of a healthier population compared to the general population. In other words, this hampers the the generability of our findings, and this could have a potential of the healthy patient bias. All right, so that's very true. That's our second limitation. This is a otherwise healthy population. Plus, they don't know the indications why they started the pill. Was it all contraception? Was it for medical management of heavy menstrual bleeding? So that those are all issues that we don't know. But anyway, that's the second limitation. They go on to say, now the third self-reported limitation is the big one that I have a problem with, all right? So the author state, quote, Third, we were not able to evaluate different formulations or route of administration as we did not have the detailed information on the OC type used, end quote. So this is a huge, huge factor here. Was it first-generation progestins, which are very androgenic? Because we know it didn't include the newer generations based on the time span of when these patients went into the database. So who knows what they used? Who knows what the doses were? And so it's a very big generalization to say birth control pills called depression when you didn't even stratify the type or the dose of estrogen or the type of progestin used. That's a big deal, isn't it? Fourth, they go on to say, quote, as we only had information about age at first and last use, we were not able to capture if they stopped and then restarted in between, which makes the time-dependent association less precise. Well, that's absolutely right, and that's a huge limitation. There's a fifth limitation. Quote, there's a potential for recall bias also for the self-reported family history data, which was used as a co-variable part of the information. So that is another big factor there. And then they go on to say their final limitation, quote, some confounders were only measured once, which could impact the estimates, end quote. 
So those are the big, big limitations, six in all, that make this study and its applicability to a larger population kind of suspect. Now, let me give you my personal take as we get ready to wrap this up. And I got to get back to labor and delivery, but I want to give you my final take coming up next. All right, podcast family, now that we're at the end of the episode, let me give you my personal take on this. Once again, I think this is good information. It's something that we can educate our patients that everything is possible, that depression or altered mood is a possibility with any form of contraception. However, we don't know how any individual is going to react and to label a whole class of medications as causing depression is a disservice to the medication when we know it's effective for birth control and effective for its Uh, non-contraceptive benefits, all right? So this goes into patient education, not necessarily as a do not use in teenagers. Because my fear is, is that we can get lost looking at the forest for the trees. Does that make sense? Is that how that statement works? You're mistaking the forest for the trees or something similar to that. Uh, The point is this, While there may be a slightly higher risk of depression, and those percentages look pretty bad, remember that those were hazards ratios, right? Those are odds ratios. The truth is that the magnitude of the risk is very small, and it has to be compared to the increased risk of perinatal depression with associated risk for even patient mortality because of suicide. So this is a big factor that's not addressed here. We know that adolescents who have an unplanned pregnancy are at extreme high risk, not only for perinatal depression, but for perinatal uh, anxiety and for, for self-harm. So th- this, is, this is why this has to be put in the proper perspective. So once again, while I do believe that all forms of contraception have the ability to cause some adverse effects, to label them all as a group as pro-depression causing, I think is very dangerous. Anyway, I hope you found this podcast interesting. I'll give the link in our references. But this just came out once again yesterday on June the 12th, 2023 uh, in the journal Epidemiology and Psychiatric Sciences. And that brings us to a wrap. Well, now it's off to send this to our editing people to try to make something that's recorded in a call room sound like it was recorded in our podcast studio good luck with that team (laughs) well anyway i I thought this was super interesting hope you all did as well as always we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of clinical pearls